Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Sam Shaheen, a senior editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we have a roundtable discussion with Blister's editor-in-chief, Jonathan Ellsworth, managing editor, Luke Kappa, Luke's Yellow Lab, Kelly, and me. Between Jonathan's recent heli-ski trip to Iceland, where Jonathan's audio equipment got left at an airport in Iceland, Luke's anxiety-ridden dog insisting on sitting in for this podcast, and the fact that it won't stop snowing here in Colorado, we've had an eventful past few weeks. So in this conversation, we sit down and discuss some new gear that we've been on, including the new ON3P Woodsman 108, Vocal Mantra 102, Faction Candide 5.0, Black Crow's Navis, and more. But first, Jonathan tells us a bit about his heli-skiing trip to Depler Farm in Iceland with Eleven Experience. I'm actually quite looking forward to this conversation. It's been a minute, it feels like, since we've done our virtual round table, but we've all been on quite a bit of new gear, so it seems like we're all kind of chomping at the bit to talk about some of this stuff. I uh, have been skiing the new ON3P Woodsman 108 in an extremely cool place. I just got back from Iceland, actually. First of all, my quick review of Iceland, fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd never been before. I am now very high on this country. And specifically, we were at Depler Farm, which is on the Troll Peninsula of Iceland. It's an outfit run by Eleven Experience. And for those who don't know about Eleven, Eleven gets its name loosely from the movie Spinal Tap. With the iconic scene, this one goes to 11. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please stop listening to this podcast. Go watch This is Spinal Tap and then come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. But dear Lord, go see Spinal Tap. But anyway, that's where 11 Experience got its name. And let me just say, it is definitely aptly named. Sam Shaheen and I were talking earlier today and you know, Sam was like, how is Iceland? And I'm still, I told him, I'm still very much trying to process this. But basically what I'm trying to figure out is whether this was basically the best trip of my life. I've been very fortunate to go to some pretty cool places. But honestly, that is what I'm currently processing. I love Colorado. I love Crested Butte. I have been to some great spots in Japan and New Zealand and Argentina and, you know, a number of us who do these out, outdoor things, we get to go to a lot of great spots. This was definitely remarkable. And I tend to think of this stuff a little bit like, you know, the proverbial deathbed. If you were kind of, you know, lying there and in your last moments kind of going over, say, top 10 moments of your life, I don't know how it would be possible that this experience I just had at Depler Farm doesn't end up in like my top 10 experiences ever. And by the way, if you go to 11experience.com and you go under the lodges section, you'll see Depler Farm in on the Troll Peninsula of Iceland. And you can sort of start taking a look at this place. But it's crazy. It's wild. It's over the top in every possible way. And, and I, I think I think the consequence for me and Luke on this is just that we're never going to hear you stop talking about Iceland <laughs> ever. Well, that, 
that might be true. Um, but to, to focus on just the skiing, we basically did three days of heli skiing. And uh, I had with me this new ON3P Woodsman 108. And we had amazing guides and two great pilots. Shout out to our pilots, Lawrence and Helmut. And our three great guides, Ian Havlick, Dan Korn, and Drew Daly. Ian actually is a CB guy. And so it was funny like to meet Ian this season. He wasn't skiing so much this season because he was recovering from an injury. So like I met Ian at the very start of the season when he was given a talk for the CB Avalanche Center. And then I actually got to ski, <laughs> ski with Ian for the first time in some very cool backcountry terrain in Iceland. That's a fun way to go skiing with somebody for the first time. But um, we've been getting inundated with uh, questions about this woodsman. And, you know, this was one of those experiences. Like, we did an all-night flight to Iceland, got up to Depler Farm, and I was like, this is cool. I'm going to go take, like, a two-hour nap because I didn't sleep on the plane. I just was working. And I was like, sweet, we get here. It's an awesome place. I'm going to take, like, a two-hour nap. The thing about Iceland at this time of year, it literally does not get dark at all. So we're, we're literally having these like sunsets at midnight. But what this means when it doesn't get dark, it means you can go heli skiing till real late into the day and evening. So I'm like ready to go like take a nap. And our guides were like, um, by the way, uh, Light's perfect. Conditions are great. You guys want to go ski right now? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I didn't take a nap and we did go ski and it was fantastic. And, you know, we got to get on, it was sort of basically corn was the word, perfect corn for three days. But it was a lot of what we were doing was getting into some pretty nice, spicy, technical entrances that would then just give way into huge wide open wide open canvases blank canvases and so it was a pretty nice way you know we were not skiing moguls we were not (laughs) skiing trees but in terms of getting that sense of like okay i need to lay down an initial turn kind of a bang 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 sequence right here i was able to get a good sense of the woodsman in that and then just absolutely mobbing wide open aprons where you could either not turn or make the biggest turn of your life or just make a couple of quick shorter turns. And after I've been only skiing backcountry recently. And so I was back in my head Raptor 140 Alpine boots on a much heavier ski than I've been skiing. And so the guys, of course, I was skiing with one run down. Everybody was doing the like, how's the ski? How's the ski? And I'm like, give me a second, you know? <laughs> But uh, really, after that first run, that was kind of just your like, oh, yeah, welcome back to heavy alpine boots and a heavier ski. I got along very well with this woodsman. And I think a couple of the notes I would want to say is I think the ski was stronger than I maybe would have anticipated. Again, this woodsman is coming in at a mount point about minus 6.5, and I was just skiing it right on the line. These, these are just some initial thoughts, but it felt a bit more in that like kind of game on renegade sense than maybe I would have guessed. And, and that was a big question of mine. How similar to a renegade would this ski feel? 
And I think my initial take on this, and we're going to be obviously getting more time on this ski and more time soon, but my initial sense is there is a lot of the strength of that, say, a Renegade 108, but you are in that more forward mount position, and you do have a bit more of a kicked up tail on this woodsman. And so, uh, you know, I think if the other question is, so where does this woodsman fall between a cartel 108 and a woodsman 108? It's like, well, it felt strong for sure, like a Ren 108, but you are moving into that more playful rocker profile and more, you know, more progressive mount point, pushing you a little more into cartel land. So right now I'd say that's, that's kind of my initial impression. Strength of the Renegade 108 with some of those more playful rocker profile and mount point elements of the Cartel 108. So it sounds like you're saying it's a stiff, heavy ski with a forgiving shape, sort of like some of our favorite skis have been recently, like the CBC or that Dina Star Proto that we really liked. Yeah, I mean, I you, we've talked about this internally. I, I, I'm still not sure I'm totally sold on the notion of a forgiving shape. Sam, I think you were the one who maybe, I don't know if it was you or Luke, but or both of you two, you know, idiots started talking <laughs> about a forgiving shape. And that's still like a weird, that's a weird thing. I feel like that can be a little bit misleading. It's a strong ski, right? Like it's a strong ski, but um, it's a, yeah, it, uh, we, I don't know. I guess we can sort this out live. Worst podcast ever. <laughs> So anyway, I think that's something that I at least want to still think through the best way to talk about just like easier going or more playful shape that ought to be a bit more conducive to smearing turns and that kind of a thing. But I, I just when people read or if they're reading a review, if, if, if I don't cross you out, Sam or Luke, where it's talking about a forgiving shape, I, I, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression of like, it's a strong ski. And I, I was finding myself thinking like, this actually could be pretty sick as a comp ski. So again, I think it will now be interesting to bring that ski into bumped up, gnarly, you know, messed up kind of resort, regular everyday kind of resort conditions. I want to see what the ski does there. But I can sure tell you for techie entrance stuff, where you want that ski to be there for you. And then if you find yourself in a place where you're skiing a lot of just big open terrain, there was a lot to like about this ski. Uh, but I did. I did need to adjust to that mount point just a little bit. And that took me a couple runs. Because if you do have the luxury to be skiing basically 2,000 feet of wide open perfect corn, it's like that's a time when being on a like minus 11 mount point where you just lay all over the shovels, turns out that kind of those conditions and terrain, that's pretty conducive to a very traditional amount. But again, adjust that a little bit. And um, it's all it was all good, Re really good, <laughs> actually. Well, that's interesting, actually, because Luke and I just yesterday on the chairlift were skiing, basically skiing powder all day. And uh, talking, we had a chairlift conversation about what we would choose for a comp ski individually and it was kind of spurred on by me being on the the new mantra 102 and 184 from vocal which kind of got me thinking because that ski is a ski that i really clicked with and felt like a ski i could easily ski as a comp ski myself 
but yeah, it's very, very different ski. It sounds like than than the woodsman. I mean, very or a much more traditional camber profile, much more traditional shape. You know, with very little taper in the tip or tail, and it's also feels a little bit like a tank. You know, it's got some, it's got a lot of metal, it's got a lot of mass to it, and it just it just just wants to go fast. I, I, had, a, I had a great time on that ski, Luke. Uh, what uh, I, I think I remember what you said your comp ski would be. Yeah, so I had a very different uh, suggestion. Well, first off, um, if you've heard any panting or licking, it's not me frothing about talking about gear. It's my dog right next to me who has anxiety issues and won't leave my side. But on another note... <laughs> Luke, I just want you to know that I also have anxiety issues when you're not right here next to me in Blister HQ. So, Well, I hope you're doing all right. I could give you some of my dog's Prozac if you want. <laughs> Luke, I miss you too. <laughs> anyway, I thought the Rosinol Black Ops 118, um, if I was doing like freeride world tour events where you're getting mixed conditions, ideally softer conditions, but that ski for me is just so predictable and easy, but super stable at speed, but is very much not a Montreux 102. It's got a very forward mount, a lot of tail, tip and tail rocker, basically completely different but yeah that was an interesting conversation sam this mantra 102 weight wise that's coming in around what correct me if i'm wrong luke we're at like 2250 range yeah somewhere around there so that's actually right in line with this woodsman 108 the woodsman 108 i think we we measured at 2232 and 2244 on our pair which is to say you've got a skinnier mantra at 102 so that that ski's coming in quote unquote heavy, which is not at all a criticism in my book. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, I think people who who read Blister a lot or listen to these podcasts probably have heard how much you guys how much shit you guys give me for liking light, easy skis. But that Mantra 102 is not a light ski, and it's just a really good ski. It felt a lot like the M5, honestly. Just very, very similar on snow field, just like wider, heavier, longer in that 184 length. I think in the 184 a lot it's probably a bit much for a lot of skiers unless you really just do want to mob high speeds. I think that 177 M5 is a really great length for that ski. And in the 102, I would imagine the 177 is a better length for a lot of people. But like I said, we'd, we're just starting to get time on the ski. Um, I just had a blast mobbing, mobbing around the mountain in about six inches of fresh snow over amazing midwinter conditions on May 22nd on that ski. So initially it's it's a ski i'm really stoked on sam yesterday do you think you would have preferred to be on a 177 yesterday um that's a good question i think for some of the terrain the 177 would have been nice you know we did some hikes to steep terrain kind of some steep confined terrain and in there a little shorter length would have been okay but honestly i didn't really have that much of a problem whipping the 184 around in tight spaces and then I think I got a lot, a lot of stability out of it when I wanted to just open it up and sort of the wide open terrain that 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 we ski a lot at a basin. Um, so yesterday probably not. I think the 184 was the right ski, but for Crested Butte especially, 177 I think is is kind of a no brainer. Okay, but in conclusion, then I mean initial thoughts are it felt like a ton of family resemblance between the well, I guess 94 millimeter underfoot Mantra M5 and this 102? A ton, yeah. 
a okay. ton. Like they felt the width. I'm not sure I would have been able to tell the width apart if it wasn't, if I, I mean, if I was skiing both of them back to back in powder, I could probably tell the width apart, but like railing groomers on the 102, it felt the, just the, the, the overall feeling of the ski was almost identical to that M5. One might say they have a similar vibe. I, (laughs) I would definitely second that notion that the vibes are quite similar. You know how like, the, there's like the people have a swear jar we're, we're gonna have a vibe jar except it's gonna be twenty dollars if every, anytime somebody uses it you got to put twenty dollars in the vibe jar well luke and i also had a very interesting lift conversation about a new podcast that we want to start at blister using one of your other least favorite words to describe a oh, ski no. which is edgy we're gonna call our podcast edgy vibes Nope. It's going to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> no. A podcast that we'll, we will not be rolling out on Blister. But uh, yeah, the Edgy Vibes podcast, dear yeah. Lord. Kappa, what do you got? So sticking with the vocal trend, um, I was skiing their new Powski, the Revolt 121. And... I'd spent a couple days on it before and had pretty positive impressions. And basically the more time I've spent on it, the better it's gotten. It's just super intuitive, super playful. Um, I was having more fun on relatively shallow soft snow conditions than I have in a while. Um, Sam got to watch me just throwing the ski sideways at every single opportunity because it's super easy and getting face shots in about three inches of dust on borderline crust it was it was decently soft but i mean it's it's a ski with a lot of rocker a lot of taper so it's not a big surprise that it's really surfy and super easy to slide around but when you commit to putting it on edge it actually holds an edge surprisingly well and kind of its versatility was something that surprised me despite it being may 22nd and having a bit of fresh snow but still being not it wasn't super deep i would have been perfectly happy skiing that all day and pow chop moguls groomers basically everything i mean we're skiing the east wall like techie steep shoots and wide open bowls and yeah i mean it, it was just a fun ski it you could drive it surprisingly hard um despite it having like a minus two and a half recommended mount point um the middle of the ski feels really strong uh, i was very happy it was strong enough when i overshot a basin's cornice by probably like 20 feet going 20 feet too big (laughs) landed straight to flat and compressed so hard my goggles fell down to my neck but uh the ski did not fold up on me um so that was that was very nice yeah i was following right behind you basically i just heard you go off and like get out like a let out like a yelp of fear i was like oh i should probably speed check (laughs) yeah not not my best my best jump wow by the way speaking of words i hate decently this is a word that sam and luke have started using in reviews and every time i see it i make a note you are not allowed to use this word and then you still do it just makes me want to use it more when you write those notes honestly (laughs) and i think noah bodman maybe occasionally uses it so i'm gonna murder all three of you and the podcast that we're definitely not ever gonna air should definitely be called decently edgy vibes <laughs> and the first episode um, is going like to be that. words that jonathan hates and it's just going to be <laughs> us listing off words that we're not allowed to ever use <laughs> i'm sorry but decently is the stupidest 
stupidest descriptor I've ever heard of. It's decently soft. That makes no sense. So come on, people. Let's like let's let's not completely go to hell here, okay? From a grammatical point of view. And I apologize to all you listeners and readers of Blister for our people, basically. I do like the sound of decently edgy vibes though, and it's got a good acronym, D E V, that's good. I think but there's there's a lot of like there's a lot of good things we could work with on that. Again, my apologies, dear <laughs> listeners. Uh, we'll try to find smarter people at some point and replace replace the ones we've got. But uh, anyway, uh, what do we got next? I guess it's my I guess it's my turn. Do, do, do the people really want to hear you talk? They just heard you talk all about that decently stuff, though. <laughs> okay, Sam, you go. That's a, good, that's a good point. They just want to hear more about the podcast. That's probably nope. true. Airing nope. in three months. Um, (laughs) what do you got Sam so another ski that I've been on the past few weeks that I really liked was um, the Candied 5.0 so this ski first of all has a really cool graphic it's like all black with like some little retro retro colored stripes on the front part of the ski Um, it's like a real real simple but just like pleasing graphic so that's always a good way to start but it's an interesting pow ski in that it's Flat underfoot, so there's no camber, with a decent amount of rocker to it, and almost zero <laughs> taper. Um, and that, that that rocker could also be described as, like, I don't know, I like actually kind of like the word decent in that situation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, there's there, there's a good amount of rocker. It's a, it's a big pow ski. But almost no taper. So the ski looks really kind of odd. It looks sort of, I mean, sort of like the Black Ops 118 a little bit, and that there's just so much tip in front of it but it was a really just like easy and intuitive ski i got to ski it in about a foot or so of pretty sort of wind compressed heavy pow and it was super predictable and intuitive and i've just it was one of those skis where you get on it and you just know how to ski it you can ski it pretty centered it prefers a neutral stance but it can be driven a little bit not not as much as as i would want in uh, hard snow ski, but for for the width of the ski, I think I think the stance feels really really natural, and it was just a blast. Like you can f- turn it sideways, you can blast off wind lips, you could go pretty fast and burn speed. It felt it just felt it felt very comfortable um, doing a lot of different things. Luke, did do, do you have anything to say about that ski too? I know that you got on it a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I shared pretty much all the same uh, opinions as you. I ended up think just kind of picturing Candide himself skiing on it because that's the ski he reportedly uses like 90% of the time. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's not some ultra damp or stable charger. Like you have to stay active on it, but it's strong enough that you can push it really hard and yet also forgiving enough that like it didn't kick my ass when I got back seat. And I love the tail on that and the Candide 4. Like they're strong enough that you can kind of lean back on them for landings and stuff, but you can also just kind of wash out the tail if you're trying to scrub speed or slash something. Um, I just like the flex felt really intuitive for me and it was a nice combo. It felt really light in the air for how big it is, but it was still like, it was strong enough where you, in in soft chop at least, you could could get pretty hard. Um, Firm chop and crud, not as enjoyable. It's not, like I said, it's not particularly damp. And overall, it was just a surprisingly easy pow ski um, for, I mean, you picture Candide skiing something expected to be super hard to ski. It's it's not, but 
it's also pretty stiff when you hand flex it. It's one of the stiffer, I think it's the stiffest of the Candide series um, that we've flexed. So yeah, just a nice blend of support and forgiveness. And like you said, surprisingly intuitive. Yeah, I really, I really dig that ski initially. I'm going to go pretty quick here, but I'm, I mostly want to just restate my love of the Head Raptor 140 RS boot. This has been my boot for a few seasons now, and Head has tweaked the liner of this boot a bit, and there's a couple other small elements of the boot. Basically, the, the wrap on the booster strap, the buckles are slightly different. I think it's primarily just a color difference, but... I'm mostly here to say that this is still an amazing boot. I love this thing. I'm going to be saying more about it soon. And to be honest, I'm still sort of upset that we ran a review of the very good Lang RX 130 LV, where Paul Forward, my good friend and trusted reviewer, Paul Forward, I guess sort of claimed that this was like his favorite or the best Alpine boot out there. And I definitely need to counter this. It's not even so much that I like, I think that Lang is a great boot, but I also think this Raptor is a great boot. And so there might be a counterpoint article coming to Paul's review. Uh, but I'm mostly just here again to say this Raptor 140 RS, it's a great boot. Everybody I've recommended it to is coming back, including some of our own reviewers are coming back and being like, Oh my God, this thing blew my mind. So that's my quick, little review of the head raptor 140 rs i still think it's phenomenally good luke i would like to talk about new fisher ranger 99 ti uh we've talked about the 107 before i believe and basically they overhauled their whole ranger ti series uh for 1920 and i wasn't really interested in the 107 um it's a big heavy and very stiff ski um, but we have the 99 and a 181 centimeter length as opposed to a 189 that we have the 107 in. And right away, it just reminded me of the Fisher Ranger 102 FR, which is a ski I and several other people at Blister really like. And basically just felt like a more directional version of that ski. Um, it kind of reminded me of a stronger... Liberty Origin 96, it kept bringing the word tenacious to mind, just like ski really hard, but really dynamically too. It's not a super heavy ski. It's right around 2000 grams, but I don't know. I think, I think we need to get Sam on it too. Cause it's, it's got a lot of energy to it when you push it hard, which as Sam has said numerous times is a thing he likes. Um, so I think, I think it's a really interesting addition to that category. It's not like, it's not a super damp ski. Um, but it's definitely not a noodle. And I think kind of skiers that like to ski hard, but want something that's not super sluggish. Um, I think that should be on their radar. Yeah, that does sound like it, a ski I'd like to get on actually. And it hearing you describe it actually reminded me of the next ski that I want to talk about, which is the Solomon QST 99. Both skis obviously in the same waist width category. And I think coming in at relatively similar weights, the, the, the QST 99 is a bit heavier, right, Luke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that QST99 was a ski like I, I feel like a little bit of a broken record because we, we decided we got to pick what skis we talk about on the podcast. We just pick ones that we liked. 
<laughs> but one of the one of the things that I really like about a ski when I first get on it is one that's intuitive and like I don't take doesn't take a lot of adjusting to get used to. And that QC99 was exactly that. It's a ski that wants to be driven, definitely prefers to be pushed through the shovels and skied, skied from a forward driving stance, but it's not a ski that you can really ski neutral and feel weird on. Like when you get neutral or back seat, the, the, it, it was really interesting. The ski just kind of like gently pulls you forward into that proper stance. It was, it was not demanding or punishing at all in the tail, even given a pretty traditional mount point. I mean, it was a ski that I just felt really comfortable skiing hard on, which is kind of what it sounds like um, you're calling this, this tenacious uh, so it'd, it'd be sweet to, to AB that QSC 99 with that, with that Ranger. I think that would, that would be fun. Sam, what length QST 99? Uh, we're in the 181, I believe. So this is really interesting, right? Because we had previously only reviewed the QST 99 in the 188 centimeter length. And my big comment, I mean, you guys, everybody can go read my review of that ski. That tail felt surprisingly strong and locked in to me like I was always very surprised like just given the what the QST series kind of is that the that the tail in the 188 felt that strong and like like a pretty game on ski it's not a ski where you get to just kind of comfortably chill out in the back seat and a lot of people a lot of our readers wrote in to say that that definitely was not their experience on the 181. And so you are kind of echoing what some of the feedback I got on that. And there were a number of people who wrote in and just basically were reporting a different experience on a shorter length, namely that 181. And so it's interesting, right? It's perhaps the case that Solomon really decided to beef up that ski in a 188, which actually I, I think makes a lot of sense in a lot of cases, assuming heavier, big skiers are going to be on that thing. But um, yeah, so now I'm very curious and intrigued to get on this 181 because I've never skied it shorter than the 188. So very interesting. And yet to, to, to just reiterate, I, I, I wouldn't say that the tail on the 99 and a 181 felt like soft or easy or unsupportive um it did like it there you can definitely feel that tail you know it's 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 there and it's it's got some it's got some stoutness to it but it wasn't punishing or demanding and it didn't feel locked in at all at least in the snow conditions that we had it in which granted were fairly forgiving spring conditions interesting yeah well i'm sure i'll be getting on that ski soon and uh you guys will be getting on the woodsman and i'll be getting on some of these other things and making sure i'm uh figure out where you guys are wrong. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, always, it's always great. <laughs> Luke? So another ski I want to talk about is the Icelandic Nomad 105. Um, so we got that in a 191 centimeter length. Um, and I and I think both of you as well were big fans of the Nomad 115. Um, oddly enough, the 191 Nomad 105 is actually 111 millimeters underfoot. So they're not surprisingly, not that different. Um, both are really fun. The Nomad 105 has kind of revealed a trend um, in my own personal ski preferences. It has very minimal taper, but a lot of rocker. 
uh, similar to the Candied 5, the Rosinol Black Ops 118, the Lines for Francis Bacon. Um, and the result is it's pretty easy to pivot, um, more so than a lot of directional skis in its class. But then once you lay it over on edge, almost like a reverse camber ski, you can basically carve the entire length of the ski. Um, and the result is a ski that's it's surprisingly easy in tight spots because of all that rocker, but is super fun to just carve GS turns um, when you've got some room. And it's also fairly heavy. It's like around 2,200 grams, um, very good suspension. It's not the, the most stable ski. Uh, the, the tips are pretty soft and I think really big skiers might might want something with a bit stiffer uh, tip. But I think for directional skiers who want something a bit more playful or playful skiers who want something a bit more stable than most freestyle skis, I think it's a really good option. And I think a really good contender for a one ski quiver on the West Coast because um, it's got a lot of surface area to float, but that shape just seems to work really well for its width on firm snow. Let's wrap this up pretty soon here. I'm going to go fairly quickly and talk about just my last product, which is the Black Crows Navis or Novice. We've had a number of people asking us to review it, and a number of friends have been telling me that we needed to check the ski out. And so actually, on my last day of skiing in Iceland, I got on the 185-centimeter Navis the ski is 102 millimeters underfoot, which was really a pretty perfect width for our last day of kind of corn skiing. But what was interesting was we also got into some of our spiciest skiing on, on that third day. And so uh, this is always the fun times when you're a gear reviewer. I literally was clicking into this ski for the very first time on a line where it was like, don't blow the first turn because you will most likely die. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, it, I'm not joking. Like, uh, if you, if you didn't die, you were going to be evac'd out, you know, I'd flex the tail a bit and it's a pretty solid tail with a, it's a softer shovel. It's a pretty mellow amount of tip rocker, especially for a ski that's 102 millimeters wide. Um, I actually quite like it. I think a lot of skis put too much, go too heavy on the tip and tail rocker. Like the rocker lines don't need to be as deep as they sometimes are on some skis we see at about 100 millimeters wide. But anyway, it was one of those where, yeah, from the very first run, it was like, don't screw up this first turn. There are consequences. And um, honestly, it, it, there was no learning curve at all on this ski for me. It was just absolute point, point and shoot. And um, it turned out to be a really nice day. And again, a really nice day that had some pretty consequential entrances. So this wasn't really a day to be on something, you know, it would have been not great if it was like, boy, this ski took me 10 runs to really figure out. Like first, for, from the first turn, literally the first turn, it was point and shoot. And uh, I had a really good time on this ski. And it's a ski that it's about time for us to do a full proper review on. And so hopefully we get a chance to uh, get some more days on this thing soon. But um, yeah, it was a very, very good first day. And basically where I would 
position this ski just from my immediate or initial thoughts is easy to ski, a fairly solid tail. It didn't, it's not a ski that I would jump out as like fully game on burly comp ski type of thing. I think it's going to have a much broader range of application for a lot of skiers, but yeah, just mostly like nice, nice, predictable, intuitive, but certainly was uh, strong enough when I wanted it and needed it to be. And certainly was a lot of fun to open up on those big, wide open, clean canvases, uh, those aprons that I was telling you about where it just was time to just mob and uh, carve some nice, clean, enormous turns. So good initial day on it. And I didn't die on it. So very psyched on that. Oh, that's too. good. Yep. Yep. That's how you earn at least like a three star or four star review for me. <laughs> Did I die kill on me. This? Right. Nope. So check that box. Sam, do you want the last word? Yeah. I just want to really quickly talk about uh, the Liberty Origin 106. I had never gotten on this ski and got on it for the first time yesterday. And I know there's been a lot of talk around headquarters about, about the ski. I know that Luke really likes it. And um, I was just sort of struck by how how much I just felt this ski would be an easy to recommend ski to basically anyone living um, in the Denver front range. You know, it's at 106 underfoot with a decent amount of tip rocker. Granted, when I say decent, I mean it has a lot of tip rocker for a 106 underfoot ski. So what you're saying is it is by no means accurately described by the word decent. It's, <laughs> it's a ton. This is seriously a problem. It's not decent. It is a lot. Right. Well, and it has been coming down in as as the ski ages. Liberty has been <laughs> tweaking it and getting bringing that tip rocker down. So the 1920 version has a lower tips or a shallower tip rocker line, I should say, um, than previous years. Grant, I have not skied previous years versions of this ski, but um, the ski just felt instantly intuitive, really surfy, and fun. You know, it was, it's light underfoot. It's easy to whip around, make fast turns. It was fun to ski pow in. It was fun to ski kind of chopped up soft snow at the end of the day in. Uh, I think it's an easy ski to recommend, um, at least initially in my initial impressions to, you know, an intermediate to advanced to even expert, a more dynamic expert skier. Um, we'll get along with this ski well. And uh, I, uh, I was impressed by it. I like the ski a lot. Yeah. And I, I also spent some time on it and I had skied the old version and basically the bottom line, I think, is that I'm fully on board with the updates they made. They basically brought the tip down a bit. So the tip rocker line is it's pretty similar, but it doesn't splay out immediately. It's kind of like a long, low slung tip rocker line. And I don't think it lost much of its surfy feel that kind of made the old version stand out. But it now engage, or initiates turns way better. Um, it just feels like you're working with a lot more ski when you have it on edge. Um, and overall, I think they did a really good job of making the ski more versatile without really hindering what made it stand out in the first place. Well done. No, those sound like good updates. Well, gentlemen, it's fun catching up on this stuff with you guys. Hopefully we uh, get to reconvene soon and get to do some skiing, all three of us again soon. And uh, given that winter doesn't seem to want to stop, looks like we'll be skiing some good conditions for the foreseeable future as well. 
boy, it's like the ski season is really just like screw you bike season and <laughs> running season. It's uh, yeah, it's getting greedy here. Anyway, let's see. In other news, we still have to watch this Dead Alive movie. So uh, that's our homework for our next one of these. And uh, I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Sounds good. All right. Take care, everybody. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks for listening, and if you're enjoying these episodes, we'd very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or a review in iTunes. And also, spread the word to your gearhead friends. Thanks everybody, please be safe out there, and we'll talk to you again next week.